Before we get to today's episode of the podcast, I want to give you a brief snippet of our Stay Forth story. Stay Forth Designs, we exist to help leaders get healthy and reach sustainable impact. We don't want you to burn out or flame out. In the meantime, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that we're crazy about leaders living and leading right side up. This world is upside down in so many ways. At the kingdom of God, there's this picture of leading right side up. What feels like upside down to have limits, to have boundaries, to have sustainable impact over the long haul without burning out, without flaming out, without having a moral failure of some kind. My friends, it is possible. And we work with leaders each week at Stay Forth who are on that path, who are getting healthy, who are overcoming obstacles, who are leading at an incredibly high level, who are gaining clarity in their lives. And we see this, friends, it is possible to live and lead right side up for the long haul without losing our souls in the meantime. And there are two ways that we primarily live that out at Stay Forth. The first one is coaching that helps leaders clarify. We are leadership coaches. We help leaders to be able to understand, to discern some of the obstacles in their leadership and some of the next steps that they can take. And then we hold leaders accountable. We get to watch leaders grow into the influence that God has designed them for. And we're seeing some incredible things happen. Not just leaders accomplishing incredible things, the what in their life, but becoming incredible people, the who in their life. The second thing that we do at Stay Fort Designs is we host experiences that help leaders to replenish. We are tired in this season. Leadership is hard. It's challenging for people to want something from you all the time, whether you are a mom or a CEO or you lead a nonprofit or you're a pastor in a local church, you're a podcaster, you're an online influencer. That is hard for people to have expectations of you. We create these four-day experiences where we serve you. You come, you don't lift a finger. We go to beautiful places. We pair you with like-minded, like-hearted leaders We have great conversations, and oh yeah, we have fun and really good food along the way. Those experiences are an incredible time. You'll continue to hear about those here on the podcast. The coaching is helping leaders to win, to become the people God has designed them to be so they can do the things God has designed them to do. Guys, we are seeing incredible things happening. If you are interested in coaching to help you clarify in this next season, what steps you're going to take, and then to be on the path to take those. One of our coaches can get a free breakthrough session with you. Our coaches come in from Zoom all over the country, and we have some incredible leaders that we can match and pair with you and with your needs. And if you are interested in an experience, head on over to stayforth.com, click on the experiences tab or click on the coaching tab. You can see a little bit more what's behind that. Go ahead and just send us an intro email. Tell us about the kind of coaching or experience that you desire and we will let you know when that becomes available for an experience, and we will connect you with the right coach, and you get a free breakthrough coaching session to be able to clarify some of the things going on in your life and leadership right now. Friends, we are more than a podcast here at the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We have all kinds of other things, including a Right Side Up community, including our Right Side Up journal. We have an email we send every single Tuesday called Tuesday Tune-Up with practical next steps. You can find information on that in the show notes below. We're going to continue to host conversations about health and impact at the collision or the intersection of the spiritual and the practical. Friends, who you are matters more than what you do. We want to help you steward the life God has given you the things you are designed to do. But in order to do that, 
You need to figure out who you are and who God has designed you to do. We're going to continue to have these conversations right here on the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Now, on with this episode. Peyton Jones, my dude, welcome to the hey. podcast. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I only wish that people could actually see what's happening on the podcast because I'm basically looking into myself in just a few years. You've got yeah. the beautiful beard working here. My brother from another mother. So good um, to chat always. We've already had good conversation, but we're going to let folks into conversation here in a little bit. A couple of things I appreciate about you. You are for the everyday guy, gal, human person who loves Jesus deeply and top-down leadership is not your thing. And so we're going to talk about some team leadership today. Um, you are apostolic. You are spiritual entrepreneur. We were just talking about how we make a living in different seasons and flex and adapt are the kind of words we talk about. I'm just always learning from you and with you. And uh, man, I just want to honor uh, the leadership, the people that you're empowering, the way that you serve is so unique. And uh, that's why I'm looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to talk about something we're both wildly passionate about, discipleship, and especially church planting. Um, but take us back, Peyton. When did you first get excited about church planting? Well, let me say as well, you know, I want to say all that stuff back at you, Alan, because uh, you're somebody I've respected for years. We first met, I remember reading your stuff in magazines and being like, oh, man, I just feel like he's like, he's my twin. He's like we, me. Yeah. And then we met in Colorado Springs. I'm like, how come we're not doing stuff together? And uh, it was just really good. I'll never forget standing. Uh, you and I went downtown one night and had a drink and kind of walked around and you were dreaming a bit about, you know, some stuff you want to see, which later popped, which was yeah. kind of cool, like some yep. some workspace down there. Yeah. But I remember you turn into me. And you go, you know, you, you kind of make the apostolic sound like like they're the rock star. And I'm like, that's because they are. <laughs> and you're like, you know, yeah, I get, you know, you and I are both kind of apostolic. But I, I think you got to be careful uh, of not making that the, the rock star to the exclusion of the others. And I remember back then, I know you're doing mm. coaching, but I remember back then thinking, I'm so glad he said that because, huh. you know, I was guilty as charged. And, you know, it, it. I've come back to that again and again and thought about that admonition. Mm. It was just, you know, we're buddies. So it was like it was given like a friend. I didn't take it as a rebuke. Mm. It just was kind of something I thought, man. So when you ended up in coaching, I remember thinking, yeah, he belongs there because you really pulled out of you, you. You listened to me. You heard that. You identified that. And that was really helpful to me. And I have constantly uh, taken that at times where I'm, I'm making everyone else sound like they're less than the apostolic. But, you know, church planning for me to answer your question, that was a long roundabout way. But I just I just want yeah. to say, I appreciate you too, brother. Now that's good. And I don't I remember the conversation, but I don't remember saying that. But I mean, that's the beauty of friendship. I felt like I knew you quickly. And I just feel like, man, there we we both hate fads. And there's the idea that we're talking about a whole lot of stuff here that ain't going to change at some level. It's biblical principles, it's discipleship, and yet it's going to have a flavor of the context Amen. of the moment. But yeah, man, I, I just remember the friendship of that moment. So I must have felt free to be able to say, be able to say that, but back at you, man. Love, love what yeah. you're doing. 
Love what you're doing. But well, yeah, that moment. Know, like what what was yeah. that initial moment of like, oh, church planting is exciting. It's for me, I can be involved. God's compelling me toward this. You know, I came into ministry through the back door and I came into church planting the same way. I actually had planted churches before I realized what I had done. <laughs> um, I actually had taken, you know, I went to Wales as a missionary and uh, I helped plant Lloyd-Jones out of Lloyd-Jones's church. We planted a little church plant. That's now a huge church plant. Um, you know, went went from there to take a, a reformed Baptist church. It hadn't had a pastor in 20 years and uh, started this Sunday night thing for college students and didn't realize I was planting a church. And it, and it actually yeah. started to split the church. I was the pastor, and here I am splitting my own church because all of these Welsh speakers are coming to the English service. Now, if you've read uh, the book of Acts, you know the first major rift is when the Hellenists and the Jews, you know, they both are coming to faith, and it creates a schism. I experienced that. And so I'm still not cottoning on. Now, I had been all around the world helping out with church plants in Auckland, uh, New Zealand, and, you know, Hungary and different places because that was a movement I came from. But then when I left that church, um, I went to work in a Starbucks and accidentally planted a church there on Sunday nights, not, not even trying. It was a one-time only Dan Brown Da Vinci Code. And it was doing that, that a guy from the local seminary, a New Testament scholar, he came and sat down with me one day and he said, hey, this thing you're doing, because I invited him to speak into this Da Vinci Code, and it just kept growing. More and more non-believers kept turning up. He said, you know, I, I, I think you're apostolic. And I said, no, no, my theology won't allow me to believe in that. And he said, no, but you are. And he said, I, I, do you ever find yourself kind of moving around every couple of years. And I, and I jokingly said, yeah, I have pastoral attachment disorder. Really, I just felt wherever I went, I caused problems, you know, because I was a little radical. And uh, he said, no, that's normal. Okay, I thought so. He's, and he outlined everything about an apostolic leader. And I still did not believe it. But it, he, he asked me this. He said, what was Wesley? He wasn't a pastor. What was Whitfield? He wasn't a pastor. What was Martin Luther? What was and he started mentioning all these catalysts. And I remember that that haunted me. And so I was very slow to uh believing I was a church planner, even though I had, I kept planning churches on accident. And I finally realized part when I when I got excited about training others up to plant churches intentionally. I was the accident-driven church planner, not the purpose-driven church planner. <laughs> but I, I actually began to embrace it when I realized I can I can train up others to do this. And I, I would say I got the buzz for training other people to do it, ironically, rather than doing it myself. I kept doing it myself, but I was more excited about equipping and training others and releasing them mm. than I was doing it myself. Mm. That's good. Um, recent book, and you have many, Church Plantology. Why Plantology? Well, that's a funny, you know, funny word, Plantology. I mean, I, I just thought surely there has to be uh, something that we're not just making up. I mean, you and I are, are very similar. We'll see guys out there, and they'll, they'll come up with this thing, and it's a fad, it's a trend. And I, that always turned me off, because I would go read the stuff, and I'd think, 
yeah, that's cool. That's neat what you're doing, but you're making it like it's it's the thing everyone should do. And that always bothered me. Maybe and it's I, in the context as well. So maybe that works in, in that moment, in that place, but let's not try to distill principles from that. Um, let's work the other way. And that's that's what I love about you is that principle focus. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what plantology is. Plantology is actually principles, not methods. And so what I was looking for, the word plantology comes from, um, you know, like the study of like science. And the, and the subtitle of the book is The Art and Science of Planting Churches. So science would be those principles. And the way that we do it, if you picture a Venn diagram, three overlapping circles, the top circle is scripture. Can I find this stuff in scripture? Because if you're going to tell me, oh, you have to do this as a planner, and it's not in the scripture, I'm probably not that interested, you know, because it's like, well, surely those guys then, the the best church planner ever lived in my book is Paul. Second unto him would be Wesley. So you would, you would at least in, in the West, I would look at Wesley. There are other people that are smoking Wesley out in the developing world. That's the second circle is global missional practices. Are these things that the apostles did our missionaries still find them true today, well, then that implies there's a principle that still works. And then the third circle is church history. I mentioned Wesley. There are plenty others, the Moravians, others who, when, uh, even like the Celtic missionaries, um, uh, when you see these other two areas where it's working, are there places in church history where this sprung up again? Because you would assume if this is scriptural and it's something that missionaries still do today, that whenever the kingdom of God advanced, um, you would find these principles at work. So where those three overlap, I call that a church plantology principle. And that's the science in the subtitle, the principle, the art, the art and science of planting churches. The art is, that's your methodology. That's the stuff you can just, you know, go out there with style, put some finesse in it, put, put your own cultural context, your contextual spin on it, adapt it to where you're at and what you're doing. And so um, that's it. And, and plantology means that you can plant with these principles, you can plant amongst anyone, anywhere, at any time. So team, I want to drill down on team. We've seen a lot of the weaknesses exposed of solo pastor, especially when that um, gets huge. A lot of people are listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which has been really interesting for guys like you and I, who've been around church planners for many years, to experience both the rise and the fall of Mars Hill. Um, but we've seen many of those uh, focuses on just one, you know, individual leader. Hmm. You call for team. You call for more team, and you talk about APEST throughout the book. Can you just briefly explain APEST? And then secondly, explain why team is so crucial to church planting and church formation. Yeah, so the APEST, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, is the idea that when Jesus ascended in Ephesians 4, 10, 11, um, he had five aspects of his ministry, five functions, and that was apostolic, meaning sent one or missionary, prophetic, he was the prophet that Moses spoke about, uh, evangelistic, uh, he said, for this reason I've come, that I must preach the gospel. So he, he went about preaching. And then uh, shepherd, um, he was the good shepherd. And then lastly, he said, call no man teacher, but he was the teacher Rabboni. So there were these five functions, and sorry for my train here, it goes right by the house. But uh, he had those five functions. And when it says when he ascended, he gave us 
those five functions to his church, and that we, in leadership, we are we equip people with these. So to me, there's five different flavors of leaders that are meant to work together. And, you know, let me just be clear, apostolic, it's not saying you're like the apostles or have superpowers. You're actually saying, I'm a sent one. I'm more of a missionary, more of like a, that catalyst that goes as a pioneer or sends people to do the same. And so that would be the apostolic. The apostolic is also somebody who's passionate about mobilizing others in their gifts. And so often the church planner, that's that's their their key gift, you know, is an apostolic function. But, you know, you're meant to work together. So uh, I see it less as, you know, going back to that comment you made all those years ago, I've come to see my confession, kind of like where it says, they asked John the Baptist, are you the Christ? And he confessed and said, no, I'm not. There's this confession of, it's more of a confession of, I have four blind spots rather than saying mm. I have one strength. Yeah, that's good. The, the others in that mix, the prophetic, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, they see things I don't see. And that's what I need. I need, as I'm leading, I'm not a solo leader. We're together on a team and collectively we're trying to hear the voice of Jesus. And when you hear, you know, like who killed Mars Hill, um, the Mars Hill podcast that, that's taken up by storm, what you're seeing there is you're seeing Mark Driscoll, you're seeing an evangelist teacher, but the evangelist in him was huge. That that would have probably been his primary gift. I would argue that the uh, megachurch movement was largely a movement of the evangelists unchecked and unbalanced by the other four roles. Evangelists are always about the mission and, you know, we've uh, people need to hear the gospel. And, you know, one of the haunting things about that podcast was they said, you know, we, we saw these other things, but we ignored them because souls were getting saved and people were getting baptized. And that's, uh, unfortunately, the evangelist is very bullheaded. Yeah. God, God's designed evangelists to be bullheaded. They have to be, right? But they need the other four holding him. And our church structures don't allow for that. And hopefully out of this, like out of the podcast, we'll get an understanding that one person at the top was not only, it's not biblical, it's not what the early church had. Jesus trained 12 and they all worked together. But even when Paul raised up leadership, after he planted, the first thing he tells Timothy to do is, hey, raise up elders, raise up deacons, you know, raise up others, and they serve together as a team. Yeah, that's good. Um, feels like we really need team today. Yeah. It feels like people are hungering for teams. Uh, again, I coach business leaders. I'm seeing it there. I don't think it's just no. in the church. Ministries. Um, people have been longing for a flat leadership, a structure for quite some time now. Talk about that, Peyton. Where do you think that longing for team is coming from? Hmm. And how do you think um, that can healthify our churches? Yeah, today? you know, it's so funny you say that because I, I would have to hearken back to the Einstein of Apest, Alan Hirsch, who wrote a genius book called 5Q. And he basically says, look, if if the these five functions are in Jesus and Jesus is in the image of God and man is created in the image of God. So God has these five sides to him. And that means that we as human beings do. So in his 5Q, he almost lays out like a, almost like this 
creation manifesto for this, like you find pioneers in humanity. There are always going to be people like yourself and your brothers, because I, I, I pay attention to you on Facebook, where you guys do that annual trip. You go push the boundaries and explore, and you go off somewhere. That's it. You know, you got to urban exploring, baby. Yeah, all over. urban be exploring. Ready. And I, I, I just know you're like that guy that's like the pioneer. And then you have other people who are nothing like that. And and so these cross sections, the prophet, the 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 person crying out for social justice in the streets, all of these are aspects of humanity because they're all parts of God. And you see it in the scripture when the prophets pop up, you see them crying out for those same things. So it, it's something that that we know is is people created in the image of God. Even the Trinity itself is a team leadership. And so it's something we know, you know, you're, you're parenting. I always tell people this because I'm a little more egalitarian these days. Um, I believe that male and female uh, serve together. Well, you know, when, when I'm talking to people, I'm like, look, if you go ask your kids, who's the boss in the house, they're going to look at you weird because they know. <laughs> they might actually say mom, but <laughs> they know that, uh, parenting is a team leadership that God's like, Hey, you want to develop a human being? You need team leadership to do that. Male and female people that are different. So here you've got the father, son, Holy spirit. It's just something that is universal to humanity. And so one of the things that, uh, I would say is, is maybe unique church plantology is a textbook, but it's, it's probably the only church planning textbook out there that has this team leadership APAS as its framework for the whole thing, you know, cover to cover, it provides this as part of its DNA. Other than kind of the solo planter and just kind of solo church lead, what practices that have been traditional to church planting over this last season need to be questioned or reformed? Ooh, okay. Well, that that's a good one. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is um, to, uh, the, the, once you get to team leadership, you, you go a little bit further because, like I said earlier, that's all about equipping. So if my job and role is to equip others, then that means they are almost more important than I am. And I've come to see that in leadership, that it's really not about me. It's about them. And I would say that what, what most pastors do. And this is where, like you said, COVID kind of really exposed our systems. Our system has been for so long. I am the pastor. I have the vision. And you all get in line with my vision. Well, what 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 happened was we treat our people like an audience. But then the pastors go into the pulpit Sunday after Sunday, begging them not to be an audience after treating them like an audience the entire service. Wow. So how does, you know, that that's not ever going to be sustainable. And so uh, what, what COVID did is it took the service away. I think you've cracked the nut of church planning if, if you can answer this question. When I train church planners, I always ask them this. Okay, here's your assignment. You can plan a church, but the only rule is you can't start a Sunday service. Now describe your church plan to me. How does it work? What does it do? Because once you're able to answer that question, you've cracked the nut of it. You've suddenly engaged in mission, right? Where the Sunday service, which I think is great, have a Sunday service by all means. We give it back to them, don't worry. But mm-hmm. it's the idea that um, mission is everything. And for mission to be everything, your uh, gifts of everyday believers have to be activated. That's the second thing that cracks church planning. Um, 
you, you really, like I said, if you're an equipper, then it's about them. So one of the things that I, I always make sure I do um, whenever I'm planning or training people is to get them to understand you are secondary and you've got to look like, for example, Alan, like when, when I'm in the middle of church planning and I'm baptizing people, cause we'll, we'll see like radical conversions and because it's all mission, you're going to constantly see people coming to faith and you're going to be discipling them, right? It's not just evangelists in control. It's the shepherd who comes in and says, gosh, we got to disciple these people. And then the teacher comes, we got to, we got to raise these people into maturity and the scripture and critical thinking and, you know, be able to process, uh, you know, God's will for their life. So each, uh, you know, each one of these roles and the, the prophets coming in going, we need to open these people up to the Holy Spirit, man. God wants to do way more than they can imagine in their life. So all of these things working together, it's chugging along. But when I'm baptizing somebody, I, I can still remember the day it changed for me where I, I was baptizing this guy. He was part of the Aryan Brotherhood, right? I mean, if, if you want to talk about the great Satan in our culture today, you know, take a white supremacist, you know, and I was baptizing this guy in Long Beach. And I baptized him right next to uh, a former hitman for the Mexican Mafia. It was on the same day. And one of the things I did was I said to them, because I'm thinking, well, gosh, this is about equipping everyday believers. doesn't matter if they're leaders or not. Because I used to just only pour into leaders. And I realized Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't just pick leaders. And, and this is probably going to be very radical and, and controversial. I believe that Jesus picked the 12 because they were not leadership material. And he discipled the crap out of them for three years and made them into leaders. I don't think leaders are born anymore. I think leaders are made. And leaders, if you really scratch a leader and you ask him, you know, what brought him, at some point in some, some place, they were discipled by somebody. Somebody, somebody discipled them and, and discipled them into a leader. And I think what Jesus is teaching us is that you can take almost anybody and disciple them into a leader. So I can remember that day baptizing, looking at these two guys that were polar opposites, thinking these guys could both be my next church planners, and I'm going to treat them. I know they didn't sign up for this. They don't want it. But I'm going to treat both of these guys like they are my future church planners. Once I started looking at everybody like that, everything started to change mm. in ministry for me. Wow. Wow. Um, what do you hope that church looks like 20 years from now? We're unlearning some things. We're relearning some yeah. things going back to principles. Maybe we've forgotten, um, or, or weren't quite as glorious for the moment. What do you well, hope for 20 years from now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because you, uh, you and I would, would probably be familiar with Brian Sanders, and we didn't call them microchurches. We called them cogs, but, but Brian Sanders has really packaged this well. Um, he's put together the idea of a microchurch. A microchurch is just a, a, a smaller group that has affinity on mission, but it, it's, again, it's what he would call like an ecclesiastical minimum. They, they're part of a bigger family. It's almost like a network of mini churches mm -hmm. that, that form together. We called those cogs, and we would say a bunch of small cogs turn the big wheel. Um, but it was releasing people and their gifts on mission, uh, affinity, uh, I would say mission-based affinity groups. So the reason that, that I think that's important is because it's the vehicle. That's what we did. Like, we'd have film clubs, you know, like where people would 
invite their friends and they'd watch films and critique them. We had reading clubs. We had, you know, cooking classes. We had we had all this stuff that just brought people together. And the cooking classes served the needs of um, single teenage mothers mm. who didn't know how to provide for their kids at the table. You know, their kids are malnourished. And that was in Britain. So there were all these different groups. And what we learned through that was... Um, those Christians, like the, the, it is like many churches, each one of those old groups, all their problems got worked out, you know, everybody. And, and eventually we turn them into church plants. Mm-hmm. And so that whole idea of not centralizing, but decentralizing was really helpful. And mm-hmm. it, and again, lended to that idea of equipping and funny enough, church plantology really talks about that, how to plant networks. The end game is showing that Paul had planted seven networks around the Mediterranean, which, uh, it doesn't often get talked about, but there were seven networks. Like one of them, just one of them, probably the most popular, is the uh, Ephesus or Asian network, the seven churches of Asia yep. that Jesus addresses in the letter to the... Why does he address seven churches? Because they were a network, and Paul had learned to plant networks. And so that's what I'd love to see. But the, the second thing, I spend two chapters, uh, and this is no surprise to you, back when we had that conversation in Colorado, you and I were hanging out in Colorado Springs on the streets, and I was talking about my second book. And I think you were on your second book. I think yep. you had you had published Guardrails. Yep. And uh, and we we were just talking about our next projects. And mine was ministry in public space because I've done that accidentally. Um, COVID has kind of stirred up the pot for the church. I I had no idea how prophetic reaching the unreached would be. But it was all about recovering that ability to do church in public space again. Mm. And 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 not just do church, but just meet people, like infiltrate the community. Like, like when I'm reading that Jesus' ministry is primarily done outside, um, the apostles primarily met outside. Sorry, I got building work going on here. <laughs> nice. Um, we got of, a construction zone. We got trains. I'm Welcome telling to the you, Jones man, house. I'm a mess. <laughs> But that those would be my wish list. Mm, beautiful. So, other than church planting, other than teams, other than things you've been excited about for a long time, what are some fresh things that you're getting excited about right now? Personally, family-wise, leadership, church, any of it. What is getting you pumped right now? Yeah, I would say the the number one thing right now. Like this is going to sound uh, kind of funny, but. Uh, for all these years, like years ago, like I was in Lloyd Jones's church, and I was um, this is part of my story, I suppose. But I was, you know, thinking one day I'm going to be the next Spurgeon or Lloyd Jones, and preaching was all I knew. And I felt like, you know, God kind of broke that a bit, and was like, "Hey, I love you too much to to let you be all about your speaking gift." Again, going back to that Mars Hill podcast. Um, it's very empty and it's very hollow and it puts you in the spotlight and it makes you the star. And mm. um, God loved me too much to let me uh, mm. do that. So so what's funny is right now, like my day job is working with some old friends of mine um, in this app called Through the Word. And I just get to do 10-minute ch- chapter summaries. Um, I'm not like Peyton Jones, church planning guru. I'm just this guy who's speaking to kids and youth and people all over the world no names. I'm there. There's no face. I'm this voice. People don't. The, the two, my two worlds aren't connected. Uh, nothing that got me here gets me there. Um, I just get to help mm-hmm. hold people's hand and give them a ten minute chapter summary through Leviticus. That was my first book that I did. They give me all the books they don't like. There you go. I it's a good start. Flip and love it, Alan. So that's <laughs> what I'm excited about. 
Plus that book you told me about. I'm actually excited about the second mountain right now. You, you right, got me man. thinking about that. If you don't like it, I owe you 25 bucks, all right? Just, <laughs> I'll just Venmo you, all right? I'll quote you. I'll quote you. <laughs> um, so maybe the most important question we've discussed. Uh, I've been known to come on a podcast that you host, and we end with a, a question of combat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is this moment. So we've talked about a lot of deep and meaningful things, but maybe it all boils down to this. Um, I thought it would only be right that I witness a fight between you and another bald-headed brother of ours, The Rock. You have to go at The Rock. I know it's not fair. You're much bigger than he is. But yeah, what is your strategy against The Rock? You're going to take him down, break him down mentally, emotionally, <laughs> physically. I don't care. How are you going to break down that beast of a man? Yeah, you have to use distraction with the rock. So you can't ever, you can, what I would do is I would first say, oh, look, isn't that your gym equipment over there? Which Mm -hmm. he'll be really upset about because everywhere he goes, he brings a 20-foot container with his gym and he's very protective over it. I know I could trick him that way. Once I trick him, yeah, then I come in and let me tell you something. I am going for the rocks stones. That is mm-hmm. that is my only hope. I will mm-hmm. slide down low. I am a man of short stature. God gifted me for this. I can hit low and hard. Boom. And the bigger they are, Alan, the harder they fall. Mm. Well done. It was like you were prepared for that. Friends, he was he was unprepared for it, yet he's always prepared. That's just who he is. Peyton Jones. My friends, Peyton, always great to chat with you. <laughs> Love what God's doing in your life. Love laughing with you as well, comparing notes. Um, and just to affirm that apostolic calling, that spiritual starter, that one that puts a hand on somebody else and prays them uh, into the things that they were designed to do. We need more of that. So appreciate you, man, and, and just your thought life um, that you let us into, the conversations that you're having, uh, both with the Lord and with others. Uh, friends, pick up a copy of Church Plantology. We desperately need to rethink and I would say even revisit our look, our view of church. What is success? What is faithfulness? What is obedience? And you answer so many of those questions. Peyton, my dude, it's been a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Alan. Shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.